And please open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll be talking today about spiritual authority. Spiritual authority, continuing our study through 2 Corinthians. And as introduced last week in getting started in this chapter, we notice that the Apostle Paul is now taking a very direct approach in addressing some of the criticisms and some of the spiritual trouble that was being caused by some troublemakers within the church. They were looking to exalt themselves and gain influence within the church. And in order to establish themselves, they, they began to question and criticize Paul's authority to try to diminish his ministry and influence in order to exalt their own. And the Apostle Paul, he wants to protect the church from this type of troublemaking ministry, but also he wants to maintain that genuine ministry that he knows the Lord has given to him for the life of this church. So he wants to protect them from the false teachers, but he also wants to maintain the true ministry into their life. And he understands that this contention, if you will, is spiritual. It's not political, it's not any any way in the natural, but rather it, it's something spiritual going on. And we saw last week, we, we honed in and identified that spiritual warfare part of this chapter. A battle for the hearts and minds of the church. And that is where spiritual warfare is waged. It's waged in the mind of the believer. But what the enemy wants to do as he wars in your mind is he wants to get you to question the spiritual authority that God desires to have in your life. Isn't that what Satan said in the garden? Hath God really said, surely you will not die? Immediately trying to to get man to doubt and question the authority of God's word, the authority and truth of God's character. So this battle continues to wage even in the life of the church. And we see that Paul is addressing it head on. Now, this... This idea of spiritual authority, it's not an easy subject for us because God uses men in our lives. He raises up leadership in the church, raises up spiritual leaders, pastors, in this case an apostle, to help bring ministry into the life of the people. And we have a hard time with that. We, we don't mind so much take, you know, taking God's authority over our life. Surely God is in authority. I mean, if we love God, if we're followers of God, it's easy to say, absolutely, I respect God's authority in my life. Even the Bible, oh yes, amen. I even respect the Bible and its authoritative voice in my life. So all I need is God and my Bible, but you, Apostle Paul, you, Pastor, you, spiritual leader, I'm not sure... About you, Who gives you the right to speak spiritually into my life? Who gives you this kind of authority to minister into my heart? And we're going to see some principles here. Now, it's a good thing to question that. We ought not to be just gullible following anybody that says, Hey, by the way, I'm a spiritual leader. Follow me. That's not wise. So we do need to ask those questions. We do need to be discerning. And we certainly need to be looking into the Scriptures ourselves to see if these principles are true. But the truth is, God has called us together. We're not just to be lone rangers. You, the Holy Spirit, and your Bible, that's all you need. We'll see you in heaven. 
God has called us together to function as a body, and He's raised up different gifts within the body to function, some in leadership roles, some in helping and assisting roles, but all of us called to work together in what God describes as the body of Christ. And so the Apostle Paul is now really kind of defending that ministry, and it's a little bit awkward for him because you can imagine this is the very church that he planted. He was the one that came and shared the gospel with this church. The only reason the church exists is because the apostle came to Corinth and shared Christ. But now he's having to convince them again that he has ministry in their midst. I mean, that's got to be a little bit tough. You know, the reason the church exists is because we brought the gospel, but now you're not sure if we're real, if we're sincere, if we're dependable. Well, the church wouldn't even exist had it not been the Lord used our lives already. In your, in, your, in your heart. So Paul is now having to kind of win them back to the biblical truth of God's authority ministering in their life. Pick it up with me now. That's kind of our introduction. Take a look at verse 7 of chapter 10. And we'll see some principles here for spiritual authority. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? Is anyone convinced in himself that he is Christ's? Let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ's, even so we are Christ's. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, and here he speaks of his authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. The first principle that stood out to my heart here about spiritual authority is, we see that it there in verse 11, do you look at things to the outward appearance. Principle number one, spiritual authority is not to be determined or evaluated by outward appearance. Apparently, Paul just didn't dress the part. He says, you know, have you met him in person? His presence is weak. His speech is contemptible. Outward appearance. Is this the way to evaluate spiritual leadership in ministry? Maybe he wasn't tall enough for some. Maybe he didn't dress right. Maybe his sandals were just totally out of fashion. Maybe there was just something about, you know, his hair that was totally old school. Maybe, maybe he just, something about it just didn't look the part of a leader. And so they're judging him. And, and some of his critics are saying, have you met him in person yet? He writes these big, bold letters. But have you met the guy? He's really nothing to be impressed with at all. As if somehow his appearance was an indication of the spiritual authority that God had entrusted to him. Not only did he not look the part, but apparently he did not speak the part. They said his speech is contemptible. Now you've got to remember, this was a very highly Greek-influenced culture. They were impressed with human wisdom, intellectual philosophy, eloquence, oratory skills. It may have been that Paul's preaching just seemed too simple too plain, too kind of unspectacular for their standard. Paul himself would say this in 1 Corinthians. You don't need to turn. Let me quote this to you. 
1 Corinthians 2, Paul said, When I came to your church, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know, you may remember when Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel. He went to Jesse's home. The Holy Spirit said, go to Jesse's home. I'm going to anoint one of his sons as the next king. Jesse began to parade his sons before Samuel. The very first one was the eldest. And Samuel, when he saw him, I mean, just the impressive you know, stature of the man, he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Now, boy, now this is a king that we can really follow. Just look at the guy. What a specimen. And the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Spiritual ministry, spiritual authority is not to be determined, evaluated, or judged by outward appearance or even eloquence of speech. The measure of a teaching ministry should not be its rhetorical style or eloquence. Listen. Rather, it should be the truth and power of God's Word being faithfully and accurately taught and declared. The power of anyone's message is that it is anchored in the truth of God's Word. Not how eloquent it is, not how ear-tickling it is, not how entertaining it might be. You know, there is such a thing as eloquent deception and simple truth. We need to develop a heart and an appetite for truth, not necessarily human eloquence. The fluffy, ear-tickling entertainment. Would you rather have that or would you rather have the life-changing, heart-searching Word of God? What is your appetite? What is your appetite for the Lord's speaking into your life? You know, there was a time in the Old Testament, Isaiah, to the, the prophet Isaiah, and again, I'll just read these to you, don't turn. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 9, God rebukes His people. He said, this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the law of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things, speak to us smooth things, prophesy deceits. You know, just tell us what we want to hear. Don't, don't tell us anything harsh or hard or challenging or convicting. No, no tell us that, that, that things are good. Smooth things. Paul said this in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. What is your appetite for? What, are you looking for just sugary treats or are you interested in some real meat and potatoes of God's word and truth? We need a diet of the full counsel of God if we're going to grow and mature and be strong. And Paul is telling these guys, listen, don't, don't evaluate us merely on outward you know, appearance. 
because you're going to miss the true ministry of the Lord. And he says this, something very interesting. You'll notice it there again in verse 7. We are of Christ. He said, if anyone is convinced in himself, this is kind of a, uh, he proposes this almost as a logical question. Look, you're so convinced that, that, that you're a Christian. Remember, we are also Christians. He says, if anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. You see, this criticism, this division, that's not an evidence of spiritual maturity. That's not an evidence of someone knowing better. That's someone of actually not understanding the body of Christ. It's like the right hand scolding and criticizing the left hand. You stupid left hand. Why can't you be more like me, the right hand? I mean, how ridiculous that would be because we're all ouch. You know, we're of the same body. Why, and why would you actually come against someone else who is... Himself in Christ. Criticism and division is not evidence of spiritual insight and maturity. You boast about belonging to Christ, remember, others belong to Christ too. Is Christ divided? Is Christ divided against himself? Can a house divided against itself stand? No, Paul is trying to draw out, look, don't measure things merely by outward appearance. But remember... God is looking at the heart. Something else, and again, just right from our text, the second spiritual authority principle, that at number two, that I want to draw your attention to, we find it there in verse 8. And the principle is this. Spiritual authority is given by God for edification, not destruction. It's given for edification, building up, not for destruction, tearing down. Look at verse 8. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for, what? Edification, and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. Paul said, look, the ministry that God has entrusted to me, it is for building up, not tearing down. This, this is consistent throughout the New Testament. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12, it says that Christ has given men ministry gifts for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. Spiritual authority is not given to tear down. It's not for bullying. It's for building When one has to criticize and tear down another man in order to promote or exalt himself, this is clear evidence that his authority does not come from the Lord. Because the Lord gives spiritual authority to build the body, not divide and polarize and criticize the body. Paul is is trying to bring out this understanding that this spiritual authority that God gives is to edify. And he says, look, if I should boast, I'm not ashamed. He's not saying a prideful, arrogant boast, but this confidence. Look, I know that the Lord has entrusted this into your life. I'm not, I'm not trying to you know, exalt myself into this position. I really believe that God has given me this place in your life. And I don't think it's you know, beyond me, beyond reason for me to imply this. Look, God has given me ministry into your life, the apostle would say. And it's for building and not for destroying. Pick it up with me again. You're in chapter 10. Let's move on here and let's take a look at a couple more principles, starting now with me in verse 12. 
Paul says this, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. I think there's a little bit of sarcasm here. We dare not class ourselves with these high-minded, self-important individuals who compare themselves with themselves or commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Verse 13, We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. Not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in another man's labor, labor, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends." A couple more principles here for us that I see standing out in this passage. First of all, spiritual authority principle number three, all ministry authority comes from the Lord. It is not from self-commendation. We do not class ourselves, Paul says, with those who have commended themselves. Spiritual authority is given by God, not just because someone commends themselves to it or wants it or desires it. We don't call ourselves into ministry. We don't kind of decide what we will do for God. God calls us. Paul is saying these men are self-commended. They're calling themselves, they're commending themselves, and they are measuring themselves by themselves. How convenient. Don't you always look good when you measure yourself by yourself? We talked it over, and I'm okay. (laughs) Turns out, I'm going to be the one in charge here. I talked it over with myself, and I have decided, we we debated, but we agreed that I should be the one. (laughs) It's not wise to think in those terms. And Paul is pointing that out. Look, this, this kind of, this has to come from God. God has to work. God has to establish. You don't call yourself into things. You don't commend yourself. They imagine that they could simply appoint themselves. They deem themselves worthy. They ignore who God has placed or used to establish the ministry, namely Paul. And they decide within themselves that they should now lead and have influence. And so they simply commend themselves to the task. And they compare themselves among themselves. Another unwise move. Kind of a mutual admiration society. You'll notice that those that are self-commendated, those that bring self-commendation often find each other. It seems that these that that, uh, kind of see themselves in this light, they often find others that are kind of in that same mindset. A mutual admiration society, they establish their own standards, they then compare and measure themselves and others to what they have decided amongst themselves. And, Church, we always look good when we compare ourselves to others according to the standards and criteria that we ourselves have established. You compare yourself to others, you're always going to find somebody that's not measuring up as well as you are. There's always somebody, well, and then then you kind of feel, well, I'm okay because look at so-and-so. 
I'm okay because look, this individual, look what he's gotten himself into. And so you compare yourselves with yourselves, you compare yourselves with others, and Paul said this is not a wise standard to evaluate yourself spiritually. It's not a wise standard to determine whether or not God has called you to have spiritual authority in the church. The standard is Christ. The standard that we ought always to compare ourselves to is Jesus Christ. He is our marker. He is our pioneer. He is our example. He is the one we are to fix our gaze upon, the writer of Hebrews says. Not one another competing, comparing, but Christ. When Christ is the standard, it it lends perspective to all of us. Because when we look to Christ, we can all in agreement say, we have a long way to go. Even the Apostle Paul understood this. Even a man who was well advanced in ministry, a man who did all kinds of exploits for the Lord, he says this in Philippians 3 and verse 12, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I'm, I'm pressing toward the standard that Christ has upon my life. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's his goal. That's his target. Christ. And he says, finally in that passage, Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. The mark of spiritual maturity is not comparing and evaluating and competing with those around you. The mark of maturity is keeping your eyes on Christ and acknowledging humbly that I am in pursuit of Him and His call upon my life. And I have not yet attained And I do not claim to have apprehended it yet. But like Paul, forgetting what lies behind, this is the direction I'm heading. That's spiritual maturity. A pursuit of Christ. Not self-commendation, but a humble and motivated desire to continue and grow, to, to continue to grow and serve Him. But Paul says something else here. He says, we have, in verse 13, We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. Again, we're talking about ministry that comes from the Lord. It can't be self-commended. It has to be called of God. But it also, when it comes from God, it includes, Paul says, a sphere, a circle of influence, a measure, a portion of, that God has entrusted to you. When God calls us to serve Him, He calls us to a very specific task. In this case, it's a, it's a place. It's a people that God has entrusted to the Apostle Paul. And He's saying, look, you're included in that circle that God has entrusted to me. This influence, this, this, this world of impact that God has asked me to be faithful with, you're a part of it. Not because I put you there, not because I lorded over you, but because God has placed you there. Because when He calls each man, He gives this sphere, if you will. A place and people that God has entrusted you to minister to and to serve amongst. 
The question would come to all of us, are we where God has called us to be? Are we serving and ministering within the sphere that He has entrusted to us? Are we too busy looking and competing for what God has called and and led someone else to do? I don't want my sphere, I want His sphere. God has called you to be faithful in an area that He has entrusted to you. It's not a competition. It's a stewardship from the Lord. And God has... And has given, I think, something to each of us. He's gifted us, He's called us, and He's looking not for how well you will do in comparison to others. He's looking how well you will do in your faithfulness, specifically to what He has given to you. And Paul reminds this church at Corinth, it especially includes you, church. God has called us. God is the one that that called us to actually share the gospel with you. God had placed them within His ministry responsibility. He says, we're not overextending as though our authority does not include you. We're not trying to take on more than what God has given to us. We're certainly not trying to take on what another man is called to do. God gave you to us. We came to you with the gospel. The church exists because God used the apostle to bring the gospel. Paul's boast was exclusively in what the Lord had accomplished through his life and ministry. Paul was not boasting about anything he had done, but only what God had done and what God had given to him. And he says it's certainly not in what another man has done. We're not to be boasting in another man's labor or sphere of ministry. Now, it's one thing to come alongside and help. It's one thing to come alongside and serve and assist, but it's wrong to try and build your own ministry and influence by inserting yourself or trying to compete or infringe on a ministry that God has given to someone else. It may be that God has called you to assist in a ministry, not to take it over, not to oust the leadership because you know now you know better. That's not the way God operates. And Paul is saying, look, we didn't come trying to take the place of another man's ministry. We came to you because God called us to. It's unfortunate, but even in the church today, there are people that want influence. And they want to use the church as an opportunity to advance their position or to advance their cause. They want a platform. They want the pulpit. They want ministry. They want something that God has given to another The truth is, there's plenty of ministry to go around. You need to be faithful with what God has called you to do. You know, it happens from time to time. We get people that come into the church and they want want access to the church. They have a ministry. They have a cause. They have uh, what they consider to be some gifting or some special insight. Can I just come and share with your church? Well, no. They, you know, who are you? Where do you come from? And, you know, maybe, are you, is this genuinely a ministry that will bring blessing to the church? Or is this you just looking to leverage what God has done here for your own cause? We have people that sometimes come and they want to position, they want to be advanced, they want to use ministry as an opportunity for themselves rather than as an opportunity to build the church. They're looking to build themselves to, and use the church. It was many years ago. We had, I had a woman that, uh, who left the church because we, I wouldn't let her sing a solo on Easter Sunday. She had written a song. She wanted to sing it. It was directly from God as far as she was concerned. And I need to sing it on Sunday morning. 
I said, well, let's hear it. I heard it. My spirit is not bearing witness that that needs to be sung on Sunday morning. And she, well, then you're just, you're quenching the spirit because this is definitely divine. It's from God and, and I need to be up there singing it on Sunday morning. She left the church. This is many years ago. I, I cite that only as an example. This is the kind of thing that gets into people's hearts and they imagine that somehow they've, you know, God has divinely called them to, you know, advance their authority in the life of a church even though God hasn't. God has established certain leadership within the church. God has established ministry authority within the church. Is it perfect? Of course not. But let God be the one that, that either works with that leadership or replaces that leadership if need be. Don't you get in there and like these, these people in Paul's day trying to run Paul off through criticism, through gossip, through advancing their own agenda in the heart and mind of the people. Paul was out of town. Perfect. We'll just totally get inside the heads of the church and we'll run him off. And and now Paul is writing to stop that ministry. does not come from self-advancement. It comes from the Lord. And it includes a certain responsibility that God entrusts to each. And that's my final principle here today. Spiritual principle number four. Not only does the ministry come from the Lord, but the approval comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from man. It doesn't come from popularity. It doesn't come from how many books one sells or how many tapes or CDs. or, or We don't have tapes anymore, do we? CDs are sold. It's not, it doesn't come from man's accolades. It comes from the Lord. Look what he says there again in verse 17. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For, he, for not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. Let your ministry, let your serving, let all the glory go to the Lord. Don't touch the glory. Don't even try to get a little of the overflow afterglow of God's using your life for any kind of personal glory. The glory... Let him who glories glory in the Lord. I think that real ministry should be done in a humble spirit. I will say this in my own life. The longer that I have served in ministry, the more and more I realize that it has nothing to do with me. That the only real lasting spiritual fruit is from him. It's all of him. And boy, I've had to learn that the hard way. He's let a number of my plans fail. How about you? He's let a number of my ideas, great ideas, come to nothing. And I can say this, he's done everything almost completely different than the way I would have done it or the way I counseled him to do it, the way I thought, the way I thought he would certainly do it. And I believe he's done it all that way so that I would not fall into the sin of imagining the glory to be mine. Because I think He wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can even ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To Him be the glory. God wants to use our lives. That's the greatest use of your life, that God would be glorified. Not you, but Him. That He would be glorified somehow, in these jars of clay, these broken vessels, that God 
would be able to glorify His own name. It's good to give testimony. It's good to talk about what the Lord has done, but be careful. Be careful that your testimony does not turn into boasting and somehow too much of yourself in the story. And he says in final closing there that it's not he who commends himself that is approved, but whom the Lord commends. You see, God sees it all. God knows the hearts. God knows the motives. And all of us will one day stand before him and give an account. You know the story. Jesus talks about those individuals that are going to come and, and, and say, you know, Lord, didn't we this in your name? Didn't we that in your name? Didn't, weren't we this? Weren't we all that? And what does Jesus say? Depart from me. I don't even know you. Your motives were not right. Your, your heart was after yourself. You weren't doing it in the Lord. I'll close with this, uh, this passage, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. You're serving only one. You're serving the Lord. Not man, not some image of yourself. You're serving God, and He is the only one with whom you have to do. And trust me, He's faithful. He loves you. He wants your life to be fruitful. He wants you to abound in fruit. And as you give your heart to Him and allow Him to use your life, He's a good record keeper. Don't worry. Even if nobody else notices, He sees it. And not even a cup of cold water will go without reward, because your Heavenly Father is faithful. He sees those things that are done in Him. And I, I, like you, want to hear someday, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that will make it all worthwhile. Are you where God wants you to be? Are you being faithful in the sphere, the circle, the, the influence that He's given you opportunity to serve Him, the stewardship? Are you being faithful with that, maybe even under the leadership of someone else that He has placed you under at this season? It may be that you long and desire for more. Listen, you know the principle. Be faithful in the little, and He will make you ruler of much. More comes to those that are faithful with the less. More does not come by casting aside the less and trying to grab and take it away from someone else that God's entrusted it to. Serve the Lord. Serve Him in the area that He's called you to serve Him in. Be faithful. It's not easy. Authority in our lives. It's, you can't escape it. It's throughout the scriptures. Whether it's the Lord, whether it's children and parents, whether it's husbands and wives, whether it's governments and citizens, whether it's you know, employers, employees. God is always looking for us to be able to, to serve Him even under oftentimes imperfect leadership. But God will ultimately care for us, advance us, and reward us for that faithfulness that we do in Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You for these principles of spiritual authority that You have established for us in Your Word. These are not man-made principles. These are not man's government ideas. This is not some voting or some political arrangement, God, that the early church came to. These are things that are divine. These are things of the Spirit of God. 
You've given them to us in your word. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be faithful where we've been placed. Some of us, Lord, we've been placed under authority. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to be faithful in that place. But Lord, even in that place, I believe all of us have also been entrusted with a certain amount of authority, a certain spiritual sphere of influence. God, help us to be faithful with these things. And to serve you and you alone. You are my master. You are my Lord. You are the only audience, Lord, that I need to perform or sing or minister for. It's you. I pray that you would guard our hearts, Lord, against these things that so easily ensnare us. As our heads are bowed and we remain in an attitude of prayer, I do want to give opportunity For anyone here today that may need to respond to the Lord, we're going to partake of the communion table. We're going to celebrate and remember Jesus Christ and what He has done for us and accomplished for us at the cross. And just before we do, I I want to pray if there's anyone here that needs to respond to God. It may be that you do not know the Lord in a personal way. It may be that you have never surrendered, if you will, your heart and life to Him. You've been trying to do it yourself. You've been trying to do it on your own, by your, by your own. And God is gently calling you even today and saying, you know, I've got something better. Quit spinning your wheels. Come to me. Receive forgiveness. Receive mercy. Come into relationship with me and let me lead you in the things that I have for you. And it may be that you're here today. You've never received Christ, but he's speaking to you. I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you need to rededicate or recommit your life to Him. You know the Lord, you have a relationship, but honestly, you're not, He's not Lord. You're doing your own thing, you're going your own way, you're, you're far from God. And you need to come back today and just rededicate, recommit your life to Him. Resurrender to His Lordship, His love, His grace, His mercy, His purpose. I'd love to pray for you too. So if you're here today and you need the Lord Jesus for the very first time, or you need to rededicate, recommit your life to Him, would you simply raise your hand and I'll pray for you before we partake of the communion elements. God bless you. Several hands here in the center section. Amen. Any others? The Lord speaking to you. I pray for these that have responded on the far right. God bless you in the back there. Any others, the Lord ministering to your heart. It's between you and Him. We want to just get it right as we come to the table of the Lord. You need Jesus. You need to rededicate your life to Jesus. Anyone else, just before I pray. God bless you. And so, Lord, for these hearts that have responded to you, I would ask that you would meet them, Lord, by your Spirit. And that there would be just such a confidence of your love for them. That they would come honestly, Lord, to this, your table, and they would say, Oh, Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me from my sin. I've fallen short. I've been going my own way. I I need you to come into my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Not because I deserve it. Not because I earned it. Because you love me. It's mercy, it's grace, it's a gift. I just want to receive it in full measure today. Cleanse me and renew me. And now, God, I pray that you would fill me with your Spirit, that I might walk 
in unity with you. Help me, Lord. I can't do it in my own strength. Give me the grace to live the life that you have called me to. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to 